Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors. Go to share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Two Wonder, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Superspeed Golf. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you so much for coming back and joining me tonight here on Next on the Tee. I hope it's nice and warm wherever it is you are and where you're tuning in from here in Atlanta. Boy, we got highs in the low 40s and lows in the low 20s for the next few days, and it's it's early March. So I got to be honest with you, I'm shaking my head right now and uh, with my faith in Punxsutawney Phil and his ability to accurately depict an early spring. It may be cold outside, but uh, you know what, folks? Settle in with us tonight. We're going to do our very best to at least make the golf talk nice and warm for you. My first guest tonight is going to be, well, I would typically have said 1992 PGA Tour Rookie of the Year, but now that the award has been renamed, right, I'm going to call him 1992 Arnold Palmer Award winner, and that is Mark Carnival. You've heard uh, Mark for years now over on the PGA Tour channel over on Sirius XM. He hosted his own show over there for a while. And I'll tell you what, folks, for my money, he and Maureen Medill are the very best play-by-play announcers, perhaps in the history of golf radio coverage. I just love listening to both of them frame up what's going out there on the golf course. I'm going to get tonight, I'm going to get Mark's thoughts on the new rules. You know, that's sort of dominating golf talk right now. I want to get his thoughts on what he's seeing, what his thoughts are, plus what he might be hearing from the players out there as well. Want to talk about his experiences as a player and a broadcaster at the Masters? Mark played back played uh, that golf tournament back in 1993. What was that like? Want to hear his stories about that? We'll also talk about some of his wins out on the PGA Tour, and of course, what he's looking forward to uh, for the rest of the 2019 season. So, really looking forward to having Mark as part of the show here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from Scott Lehman. Scott is the founder of In His Grip Golf. I'm going to talk to Scott about some of the wonderful events he's got coming up over the next couple of months over in Nashville. Also want to talk to Scott about an interview that he did with our mutual friend, Bob Jones, the fourth. It was a very spiritually moving interview. They did such a great job that they did. And you can find it out on YouTube. I highly recommend it. Go check it out. It's very insightful into Doc's life and the time that, you know, he spent with his grandfather. Something I found very touching with respect to the interview is how Doc never saw his grandfather walk or do much with his arms because of the debilitating disease that he had. And, and how, you know, he, what, what, what Doc is looking forward to is when he gets to the next life, right? Something beyond our life here really wants to see his grandfather walk because uh, he didn't get to see that when, uh, when he was a kid. So looking forward to hearing about that interview and, and a whole lot more when Scott joins me a little bit later on in this half hour. Then we're going to round out tonight's show with a return visit from top 40 under 40 instructor, Travis Fulton. Travis has become a wonderful friend of the show. Tonight, I'm going to talk to him about his partnership with one of our sponsors, the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. I also want to get Travis's thoughts on the rules as well. I also want to get some playing lessons from him, right? We all need some help this time of year, shaking the rust off of everything, right? As I can say, very cold here in Atlanta. Very cold across the northeast and the northern part of the country. So as we start to get our golf clubs out, want to get some lessons, playing lessons from Travis. 
We'll start off with uh, some thoughts on putting. And then first tee jitters, right? How do we overcome those sorts of things, particularly not only when we're just starting out the golf season, but really when we're starting to play in tournaments and member guests and all of those sorts, sorts of things. So the butterflies mount up. How do we deal with that? So I want to talk to him about that. So looking forward to having Travis as part of the show again tonight. He'll join me about 40 minutes from now. So a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about my good friend Mitch Lawrence and his podcast called Talking Golf Getaways. He and his co-host Darren Bunch, they let you know about great places to stay, play, and even eat and drink while you're there. Again, their show is called Talking Golf Getaways, and it's moved over to a new site. It's on Golf Trip X, and that's the letter X, which stands for experts. So GolfTripX.com. So go there, check out their show, and learn about some of the hidden gems that we have around the country. Great courses around the country. They do such a great job. His twin brother, Matthew, also fantastic. He's got a great show called Backspin Golf. Oh, by the way, rumor has it is going to get started back up this Sunday. So the show airs on WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. It airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern time. You're going to love the show, folks. You really got to go check it out. Matthew is so much fun to listen to. You can stream it online by going to WLXG.com or doing what I did, which is download the WLXG app. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our good friend Steve Rondonero about what they've got going on up there. Play the courses champions play at French Lick Resort. Laura Davies won the 2018 Senior LPGA title on our Pete Dye course. Colin Montgomery won the Senior PGA title here in 2015. For an experience drenched in history, play our Donald Ross course, where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship. It's never too early to plan that next buddy trip to play legendary golf at French Lake Resort, the Midwest's premier golf destination. Yeah, folks, be sure to go online to FrenchLake.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place they have up there and to book your stay as well. I also want to tell you about our good friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan iron since the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor and get a demo iron from either their Fort Worth PTX or edge irons and go out on the range and compare it to whatever it is you have. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And they're going to build those clubs to your specifications. And best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete complete line of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, and accessories. Again, online at BenHoganGolf.com. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. They've got their spring collection out now, and I'm telling you, folks, it looks absolutely fantastic. Plan ahead for spring and be among the first to sample their happy hour collection. I got my eye on some of their great-looking new polos and sweaters. See what I'm talking about by going online to BobbyJones.com. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Mark Carnival, and let me remind you folks about Mark's background. He is from Annapolis, Maryland, played his college golf at James Madison University, where he was a four-year letterman and a two-time MVP. While he was there, Mark won the 1979 Governor's Classic and the 1982 James Madison University Invitational, graduated with his degree in marketing and a minor in economics. In 1999, he was inducted into the James Madison University Athletics Hall of Fame. 
He turned pro back in 1983, and he won four times out on the PGA Tour. At the 1984 Virginia Open, the 1990 Utah Open, the 92 Chattanooga Classic, and the 1997 Nike England Classic. Mark was named the PGA Tour Rookie of the Year in 1992. He finished tied for 25th at the 98 U.S. Open at Olympic Club over in San Francisco. Like I say, you can hear Mark now on SiriusXM's PGA Tour uh, channel, as well as PGA Tour Live. And I am honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Mark, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be with you, and uh, thanks for the invite. Wow, you bet. So, Mark, as uh, as I introduce you as the uh, 92 Rookie of the Year, now i got to switch that up and say you are the 92 Arnold Palmer Award winner. Talk about what it's like now to forever be linked with the King. Uh, it's it's really special, uh, Chris. Um, uh, Mr. Palmer was was obviously not only responsible for really making the game to what it is now, but he certainly was one of my heroes along with my dad. Uh, he was the reason I really kept pursuing the game of golf after after seeing an interview he did. Uh, I would say probably in the late uh, '80s. Uh, and then, of course, I went on to qualify for the tour in the fall of 1991, and and spent 12 years out there. But uh, now it's it, it's such an honor. Um, I, I just uh, it, it's I, I couldn't be happier because obviously, as you mentioned, uh, it links me not only now with the game of golf but with his legacy. And uh, I, I I just uh, as I have spoken numerous times since the announcement was made uh, yesterday to to numerous people. Uh, uh, I, I just couldn't be happier. It is such a cool thing uh, to, to be linked with him now, and uh, uh, it's just, uh, uh, wow, I'm, I'm just honored, quite frankly. And, Mark, you know, obviously it comes, you know, at the time of year when we have the Arnold Palmer Invitational this week. So it's got to make it a little extra special now, right, because now the award has changed to his name. You're going to be out there, I'm sure, covering the API, and uh, it's just really got to fill you with a great sense of pride and a great sense of who the King was and, and what he meant to the game. And now you're going to be there, you know, with the award, obviously in, in your, in your portfolio, but also walking the golf course and, uh, and the essence of Mr. Palmer got to make it extra special for it to be this week while you're going to be there. Uh, absolutely. Chris. So one of the things that I think maybe is lost uh, amongst uh, Mr. Palmer and, and not only what he did for the game and uh, there's, there's a bit of a link between, he and my dad is that you know that my, he reminded me of my father uh, so much and just the way they handled themselves and the way they understood uh, sort of their place in what they did. My father, you know, was a, was a basketball was a basketball Hall of Famer, was a collegiate coach, was an athletic director. Um, it, it just they did things that was very unselfish. Uh, their their goal was to make the game better uh, than when they they first got there and without question mr palmer has done that uh i mean more than you could ever think he anyone could do it and uh that's what's really special to me is uh he was very unselfish while certainly he made a lot of money through different endeavors and uh, whatever but he really put the game above himself and was very unselfish in, in how he approached it and obviously with the arnold palmer invitational and, and what it does not only for the community uh, of Orlando, but for charities and the Winnie Palmer Hospital and everything else. Uh, he did that not for himself, but he did that to help other people and to make the game better. And certainly 
made an impact in the game of golf, which will will go on you know forever and ever and ever. And as I said, myself and all the other PJ Tour pros really owe him a great uh, debt uh, for what he did in allowing us to play this game at the level we do and everything that comes with it. And uh, yeah, it's going to be very special to be there this week, uh, particularly with the announcement yesterday. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And Mark, you, you mentioned a couple of things so far. You, you, you used the word unselfish a number of times, and then you also spoke about your father. And I want to talk about both of those things in context with your father for a moment. And he was a veteran who served in World War II. You've, uh, you've told the story and you've actually tweeted out recently about how he was adrift at sea for seven days at one point. And then you mentioned your father as, as a head coach. So if you wouldn't mind, Talk a little bit about your father and the things, you know, about his life and what he instilled in you. Uh, it's, well, I mean, obviously, as I mentioned, he's, he was my hero. He was, he was, uh, my, one of my best, you know, he was my best friend. Um, I grew up, you know, I was born later in his coaching career and he coached at Chapel Hill in 1945 and 46 and lost to Oklahoma A&M in the finals of 1946. Uh, Hank Iva was a coach. At, at AMM, and then he went to the Naval Academy for 20 years, where I was born in 1960. And uh, I was a great athlete. You know, he, he played at NYU in the 1930s. They won a champ, uh, national championship there, I believe, in 34 or 35. Uh, that, is, that escapes me. Um, he was involved in basketball and college athletics uh, his whole career. Uh, I have three older brothers and an older sister. All my Three older brothers played collegiate basketball, one at South Carolina, one at James Madison, where I went to school, another one at the University of Delaware. And when I came along, you know, he retired in coaching in 66, so I was six years old. And my dad was a, was a really good, really good golfer. And, you know, he taught the game to me, and he showed me the game, and never really any pressure, but just instilled, uh, you know, uh, the, the quality of and the character that you had to be with whatever you did. And as I said, you know, he, he believed in making his profession better, uh, for those to come after. Uh, it, it just, uh, I mean, I, I, my, my greatest people ask me what, uh, my greatest moment in golf was. And obviously I won, I played the masters and had so many other things, but really the greatest moment was my dad was with me when I qualified for the PGA tour back in the fall of 1991. And, uh, I remember he had to leave early, he caught a flight. So I wasn't done. He knew I was going to make it, but just didn't know where I was going to finish. And this was back before cell phones and all that. So I called him at the hotel before he was leaving for the airport. You know, he wanted to know where I finished. And, you know, I finished, I think I ended up finishing 18th or 19th and he couldn't speak. And my father was a very, you know, six foot five, just, a, you know, a big monstrous Italian guy that spoke with his hands and was loud and, and my dad couldn't speak. And that, the greatest moment in my life and my golfing career knowing how proud he was of me and uh, it's just uh he, he lived a, a wonderful life he lived to the age of uh, of 92 uh, when he passed away and uh it's obviously involved with the NCAA selection committee only person to be on the selection committee twice um it, it just he was a, one hell of a role model and he really came from nothing as uh, the at a Raritan, New Jersey, and made his way to New York to go to New York University, and uh, it's uh, you know I had a lot, I had big shoes to fill, but he was one who always was supportive, 
and you know understood that as as a man or anybody that you have to do what you want to do and I wanted to eventually pursue golf for a living and uh, he was there the whole way and uh it just uh, I was very fortunate in my life uh, to not only be around him and my my family but certainly the the greats and icons of sports throughout all of it uh through his through his what his career was and uh as i said uh, i've been very fortunate in my life and arnold palmer was uh, mr palmer was someone else you know who i who i spent some time with that uh just reminded me of my dad so much that it's just uh, it's very special and mark Talking about a number of things that you just mentioned, you know, your father being proud of you and big shoes to fill and being around great icons of sports and different sports. Well, you're inducted into your high school Hall of Fame, Lafayette High School, along with Lawrence Taylor, Ron hmm. Springs, and Mel Gray. Nice, nice company that you've got <laughs> in that class. And then you also are in the Hall of Fame at James Madison. Boy. I'd say you made your father proud and you filled those shoes quite nicely. And then obviously what the great things you're doing now as a broadcaster, but talk about being in both the high school and college hall of fame. It's, it's pretty special. I mean, you know, like my dad, I mean, I, I just, I, as, as back in 1998 at the U S open, you know, when the, when, you know, the popular phrase, you know, you're the man, you're the man. And, you know, I was playing well and unfortunately I didn't have a great final round. But I remember someone saying, Hey, you're the man. I'm just, I'm just a man. I mean, I'm someone who, when I started this game, uh, you know, Chris, uh, it wasn't for the money. I just love playing golf and, and I wanted to entertain people that came out for it and to be recognized uh, with those honors. Uh, and again, you know, with this honor, uh, I mean, I, you know, obviously I won the rookie of the year back in 1992, but now it, to be linked to the Arnold Palmer, I mean, it's just, uh, it's an honor, and and, I, and I've never believed that I could ever give enough back to this game of golf, what I've gotten out of it, and, and where it's taken me all over the world, and the people I've met, and the experiences I've had, and to be, to have been inducted into those Hall of Fames is pretty special because uh, I, again, I'm just I'm just one individual, uh, and, and I believe I, I've I've helped you know I've carried myself with character and for passion for this game, and, and not just in golf, but but in life and, and respecting people and, and understanding that we all contribute uh, to some aspect of life. And uh, I, like my dad, I, I want to make what I've done better. And, you know, it's, it's worked out where, you know, it's now broadcasting and I, and I hope I make it a better experience for those, those fans out there that, that, that love this game like I do. Mark, switching gears a little bit, I, I want to get your thoughts. Obviously, the the uh, issue over the rules is dominating golf talk right now, particularly the drop rule, and, and the issues mm -hmm. don't seem like they're going to be going away anytime soon. What do you think about the drop rule, and what are you hearing from the players? Well, I, I just think, I mean, look, I, ha I have the utmost respect for the USJ and the RNA, and they want to, you know, I mean, they want to – I, I mean, they've, they've, they've made an effort to make the rules easier for the average player. And I, and I think that's good. But again, there's, there, there's, there's never, I, I've always felt there's too much gray area in the rules. Um, you know, to me, whether you drop it from your knee or your shoulder or whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, to me, the rules should be read. Okay. You can't drop it below your knee. I mean, what difference does it make if you drop it from your knee, your waist or your shoulder? I mean, is that breaking a rule? I mean, to me, that, that makes no sense. And again, it's, 
it's roles should be easy for the average person because not everybody is a, a tour player. And I, and I would be the first to admit tour players are probably <laughs> extremely ignorant as far as all, all the rules of golf go. And it, it should be easy. It shouldn't be a, a guessing. And, 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 and the rules of golf in, in my mind should not be there to penalize you. They should be there uh, to help you. And I, I think there's, there's a disconnect. Uh, when these rules are written. And um, again, you're, yes, they're, they're people that are stewards of this game, but I don't know how many of them have played competitively. I, I don't know if, if enough of them understand exactly what goes on through uh, in a player's mind uh, as they're in the heat of the moment. And it shouldn't be, I mean, you know, you've, you've, you're subject to a penalty or you're subject to relief. It shouldn't cause agony, and it and it appears to be causing angst. And and there's too many question marks. Yes, I know the rules have just changed, and they've been implemented, you know, just three months ago. But it shouldn't be that way. I mean, it shouldn't be this question of you know, am I doing it right or whatever. It just just there's to me there's just too much gray area in them. And Mark, how much do you think the frustration that the players are showing? Do you think? goes back to the issues that uh, the USGA has had with setup of the last several U.S. Opens, sort of a, a frustration boiling over with the USG in general, going back to the U.S. Open and now when we, we see these rules. Is there a correlation there or no? I think so, and I think the players' frustration, I think it's probably frustrating on, on all professional tours, is, is there are organizations, yes, they run a handful of major events. They run you know, a couple, you know, three, four professional events throughout the year. And there, there's other factors in this. And, and when you have people make, at least in my, in my mind, when you have people making the rules that are not there, it's like, you, you don't know how I feel unless you've walked in my shoes. And very few of those people have walked in a tour player's shoes, whether it be a, a female or a male. Um, I, I think it is, it is challenging. And I, I know that we spoke about this before we came on. I mean, I am a, I am a, a big fan of bifurcation of roles. Uh, I am absolutely a fan of that because it's a different game for the amateur player and, and the professionals. And uh, again, I think it's when you have people that, and I'm not saying they're not, they're not trying to do what's best for the game. I, I just think it's just, it's, you're not talking to the right people. And I don't know if they bring players. I mean, the whole Twitter war between Justin Thomas. I mean, come on. Right. I mean, what are they doing? You know, you, you can't tell me you can't figure out a way to talk to Justin Thomas uh, it, it, or any player. I, I, I look, I, I, again, as I said, I have a lot of respect for what the USGA and the RNA have done for the game of golf. But at some point, um, you know, you, you have to have people who – have a better understanding of what the game is. And I'm not sure they do. And Mark, as you mentioned a moment ago, yeah, we, we, we touched on bifurcation before we came on live. Do we need different rules for the, for the pros versus the rest of us? Do we need different equipment standards? Do we need both? What are your thoughts on where bifurcation needs to happen? I, I think it all needs to be looked at, uh, Chris. I, I think, um, you know, again, I'm old school. So, you know, I think uh, the USGA, while the US, USGA and RNA have addressed certain things, I don't think they've addressed the golf ball. I don't think they've addressed the equipment. Uh, 
to me, as a professional, as someone who played this game for a long time, and I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm, I'm, you know, I'm crying, I'm, I'm saying spilt milk over, crying spilt milk over the fact that, well, back when I played, we didn't have this. You know, it is what it is. I'm not, but I think that at some point, you have to understand that there is a certain amount of talent that is taken out of this game by the equipment. And I hate to see that. You know, we talk about the golf courses that uh, maybe have become obsolete, that, you know, some of the, the major championships can't be played at anymore because they're not long enough. I mean, you know, you go back to Marion and people say, well, look what happened to Marion. I, I get that. But there's so many great golf courses that can't hold major championships because, quite frankly, I think because of the equipment. Players don't care how long they make the rough. I mean, if you're going to bomb it out there 350 yards and you're hitting wedges, what do you care whether you're playing for the rough or the fairway? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I just I personally, uh, and I, and I, I said, you know, I've been around sports long enough that, you know, games evolve, sports evolve and things change. I mean, it's like we can't compare the players now, uh, to, to Bobby Jones and Walter Hagen and, and, and so forth just because I, it's just not fair. It, it's just not fair. Uh, because there's different circumstances and not to say one's better than the other or vice versa. So I think you have to adapt to it. And I, to me, uh, you know, it's just like with the anchor ban rule, you know, that's something that was around, you know, the USGA and RNA should have addressed that when it happened, not wait 25 years and then change it. Because quite frankly, I think it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it is quite, uh, <laughs> the words not coming to my mind. It is, you know, it has gotten people disinterested that, that use that and they want to be able to play events. And to me, it doesn't make any sense, uh, to, to not let people, if that, if, if that gets them to play the game and they enjoy the game using, you know, an anchored putter, so be it. I don't care less. I mean, Arnold Palmer was criticized by the, by the USGA because he supported that the Callaway ERC driver because it went further. You know, if someone hitting the ball further off the team makes them enjoy the game and play the game, then that's good for the game. So, I mean, obviously I don't have an opinion on all this, Chris, but (laughs) 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 and as I said, I respect the USG and RNA, but to me, there's, there's a disconnect somewhere. Mark, I want to switch gears again, and I want to go back to your playing career. And I was looking up some things, and when you won the 92 Chattanooga Classic, you did so by coming back. You you started out in 20th place. You were five strokes off the lead going into the final round. And one of the interesting stories from it, I read that your caddy, Leroy Schultz, who had previously Mm -hmm. caddied for guys like Lanny Watkins and Tom Weiskopf, but he told your friends along the second fairway he's going to win today. What yeah. do you remember about that, and why was he so confident that early in the round that you were going to do it? He didn't tell me that, Chris. <laughs> I, I think, you know, I mean, here, here's someone who's, you know, he was a caddy at Augusta National, and obviously, as you mentioned, caddy for Lanny Watkins and Tom Weisskopf, and, you know, he understood the game, and, and I guess he just saw uh, it, it, it in me. I mean, I, I mean, when, when, you, when people are around sports that have been around sports a long time, they recognize things. And, uh, you know, it was just cool. I, it, it's funny because, you know, I think I would, I had, I think I had eight birdies and Eagle and two, three putts for two bogeys to shoot, uh, 64. Um, yeah, it, it's something that, you know, I remember it, but I don't remember it because as we've always talked about, I'm sure you've talked about it 
with, with numerous guests on your show, I mean, I was in a zone. I, I wasn't even thinking about it. And uh, I mean, even, I think I missed a five footer for birdie on the last hole, <laughs> but uh, it, it was pretty special. And I mean, the only, I would say the only sad thing was that, uh, I mean, I had friends there, but I didn't have any family there uh, to see me win. Uh, but uh, it was a very special day. It seems like a long time ago and it was now, you know, almost 27 years ago, <laughs> Chris. So, but yeah, I mean, Leroy was a, was a great, uh, I considered him, uh, you know, he, he taught me a lot about the game of golf, uh, and, and obviously helped me a great deal. And I think the key was he let me just play, you know, he just let me play golf that day. And, uh, obviously, uh, I went on to win. Mark, one more before we let you go. And as we get to this time of year, many of us immediately start thinking about the Masters. And Augusta National is one of my favorite places on the planet. You got to play in the tournament in 93. What do you remember about your first experience playing uh, playing in the uh, Masters tournament? Well, a lot of it was a blur. I, I didn't play particularly well. Uh, probably the one thing that stands out to me is, you know, I went there a couple times before the event, you know, for a couple days and and got a sense of the golf course. Uh, uh, it, it was uh, <laughs> the sad part about it was Leroy was supposed to caddy for me, but unfortunately he didn't make it. Um, you know, Leroy had, had some issues and uh, he didn't make it. So I had taken a local guy there and uh, a guy by the name of Joe Johnson, and he was a great caddy. And But I remember from Wednesday to Thursday, the green speeds had changed. And I free putted for the first five greens. And, uh, so I got off to a bad start. And then I was in the, in the second round, I was paired with Billy Casper, who I, I had an opportunity to go to Morocco with, uh, uh, in the off season, uh, my, uh, that same year, as a matter of fact. And Billy told me, he says, yeah, it takes you four or five times to figure this place out. Not that you'll ever figure it out, but it takes you a few times. But I remember it was really more about, Everybody that supported me through the years to get to the PGA Tour, uh, I remember I rented uh, I rented a, a house and I stayed in a hotel, but I rented a house for them and I, I had all my friends and some of my sponsors uh, and, and dear friends there and my family, and uh, I had obviously hoped to get back and play and I never did, but it was really for about them. But I, you know, in retrospect, I was okay with that uh, because I knew how. Uh, important it was for them to be there and to see me there and obviously I would have liked to play better but uh it's a special place and uh I'd never forget walking from the uh the locker room uh out to the first tee and I just felt like I was walking on air and uh it was hollow ground and and all the greats that ever played the game had set foot on that property and played uh in this event and uh pretty special Mark, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media? Obviously, you can you can follow me on Twitter. I'm not I'm not a great Twitterer <laughs> or tweeter or whatever you call it. I, I do occasionally. Uh, it's at M-C-R-O-Y at uh, 92 on Twitter. Um, I'll be, I work PJ Tour Radio and I do PJ Tour Live. I'll be on PJ Tour Radio this week for the Arnold Palmer Invitational next week. I'll be on PJ Tour Live. You can go to pjtour.com to find out about that. I'll be that for the players. I'll be doing radio on site at the Valspar Championship, and I'll also be 
the analyst for radio for the World Golf Championships, Dell Technologies Match Play. And I got a week off, and then I will do uh, Augusta, uh, the Masters for Westwood One. Uh, you can hear all that on SiriusXM PJ Tour Radio. And then I'll also be on site at the RBC Heritage uh, for radio. So I got a busy uh, seven weeks coming up here, Chris. Yes, you do. Indeed, you do. Well, Mark, it, it's always a huge thrill for me to get to spend some time with you. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I hope I get the privilege of catching up with you again sometime real soon. You are absolutely spectacular, my friend. Well, thanks, you, Chris. Anytime. Happy to do it. And uh, to all you uh, your listeners out there, uh, golf is a great game. It's uh, You develop that passion for it, and, and I'm happy to shed whatever little light I can on uh, on your listeners uh, anytime. Well, I appreciate that very much, Mark. All the best to you and your family. I hope I get to catch up with you again soon. Hope so too, Chris. Take care. See you, Mark. That's Mark Carnival. And I tell you what, folks, and I mean this sincerely, when I think about the greats of the game as a, from a broadcasting perspective, and I said this in the intro, he and Maureen Medill, I believe, are the two best to ever do golf play-by-play on the radio. I enjoy listening to Mark. I, you know, I miss him having his own show on PGA Tour uh, Radio on uh, Sirius XM. But uh, always look forward to listening to Mark and listening to the broadcast wherever he's going to be. And uh, when uh, he gets uh, when he gets on the mic this weekend, I'll be listening. And uh, I really hope I get the oppor- opportunity and I really say privilege of having Mark back on the show again real soon. Arnold Palmer Award winner, 1992, Mark Carnival. All right, I've got my next guest, Scott Lehman, hanging on the line. Before we get to Scott, I want to remind you about a couple of our sponsors. First, now used by over half the tour players around the world, Super Speed Golf is the fastest and most effective way to increase your swing speed. Three eight-minute sessions are all you need to see a 5% increase in that swing speed. And with sets for golfers of all ages and over one year of included video instruction, Super Speed offers a complete solution that's going to help you start palming it off the tee. Visit them online at superspeedgolf.com to get your set today. And folks, well, TaylorMade Golf has done it again. The all-new TaylorMade M5 and M6 drivers have arrived, and boy, what a story. They both feature speed-injected twist face, created through a revolutionary manufacturing process where every single head, and I mean every single head, is injected and calibrated to the threshold of the legal limit. Basically, every head now is tour spicy. Speed for all, now available. Check it out online by going to tailormadegolf.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at pgatoursuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Scott Lehman. And let me remind you about Scott's background. Started out his career in the sports apparel industry, working for a surfing company out in San Diego. Went back to school in 1998 and became certified by the United States Golf Teachers Federation to be a teaching professional. He's written or co-written a couple of wonderful books, The uh, The Golfer's Bible and More Than a Game, Finding Life's Answers Through Golf. He is now the founder and president of In His Grip Golf, and I am very thrilled Scott is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Scott, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, good evening, Chris. It's a privilege to be with you, and uh, it was awesome to listen to you and Mark, especially uh, watching your natural gifts come out. Uh, 
you're in your sweet spot, Chris. Great to connect with you again. <laughs> I appreciate you very much, Scott. So, Scott, I, I want to start off by talking about some of the great things that you've got going on. Boy, as I've been you know, taking a look at, uh, at your Twitter feed, as I've been looking at your uh, website, you have so many wonderful events coming up over there in uh, Nashville. And I, one of the things mm -hmm. that I think is absolutely very cool is the Celebrity Pro-Am Tournament you're doing next month at Topgolf. Top, talk about what that's all about. Yeah, you know, about five years ago, Chris, we did a Celebrity Pro-Am at uh, Vanderbilt Legends Club. And what we found is to do an all day and a night before with a gala, it's very time consuming and it's really hard to get the celebrities and pros to do that year after year. So we took a few years off from that model and we started a Top Golf Celebrity Pro Am. And it's a Tuesday night, it's about three hours. And we just found that the, the celebs that came last year loved it and they all renewed for this year. And the pros loved it. It was just a Tuesday night. And the business sponsors loved it because they didn't have to take a whole day off of work. And so this year, we were just really humbled to see, you know, Tennessee Titans, you know, coming on in. And Mike Fisher, the former captain of the Predators, Vince Gill, you know, Henry Cho, Daryl Waltrip, Larry Gallagher. I'm, I'm, wow. To tell you the truth, I'm just kind of sitting back going, wow, God, look at who you're bringing. And it's a reminder to me daily, Chris, that, you know, God's in charge, right? And the more that I let go and allow God to really guide and direct us, the more we're seeing things like this happen. And I don't get that every day. You know, that's a challenge. Every day to surrender it. Uh, really hard for us as guys. But I can't even explain of, of, of just who God's bringing in for the event this year. It's, it's humbling. And then following that, You've got a, a wonderful retreat that's coming up in late April. Talk about what you've got going on there. Yeah, for the last 12 years, we've gone to down to Sylacauga, Alabama, uh, the home of Gomer Pyle or Jim Neighbors, to Purcell Farms. It's, I don't know if, you, if a lot of your listeners have played Farm Links yet down there, but I've been playing it for 12 years. We take 32 guys down for 18 holes on Friday, 36 on Saturday, 18 on Sunday. But at night, we go real deep into life and just talk from a faith perspective, how to be better husbands, you know, how to be better dads, how to be better friends. And we use faith as, as the central point to that. And, you know, a lot of guys used to go down for the golf, but now it seems like they come down for the life side of it. In fact, even one of the Tennessee Titans three years ago came down and uh, committed his life to the Lord in that retreat. In the following year, he asked to be baptized. We baptized him in the pond of the 17th hole down at Farm Lake. And I'm just telling you, for guys to watch that alive and in person, it was pretty amazing. Scott, talking about something that's pretty amazing, you uh, you did an interview with a mutual friend of ours, Dr. Bob Jones the Fourth, and the uh, the interview you did on TV is. Uh, it was it's so moving. I, I've watched it now probably a half a dozen different times. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah. share share what that what that was like. You walk the Atlanta Athletic Club at sunrise with Doc, and you know you, you get to hear about his faith and 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 all of the things that have made a difference in his life. What was it like for you to spend that time with him? Well, th there's a deeper backstory to it, Chris. 
And I, I need to share with you and your listeners that on the way to interview Mr. Jones for, we are really going there to get his grandfather's story. I mean, how can you not talk to the grandson of Bobby Jones and not get his grandfather's story? About 30 minutes before arriving, my 30-year-old videographer in the back seat of the truck said, hey, Scott, I think we should switch it up today. Can you imagine 30 minutes away from the interview, <laughs> arriving at Atlanta Athletic Club, we're going to switch it up a little bit? I'm looking in the rear mirror go, excuse me? He goes, Scott, I think everybody's <laughs> coming to Bob to get his grandfather's story. What do we ask Mr. Jones his story today? And I'm like, we're going to do that. We got to the parking lot, you know, Mr. Jones pulls in, big smile, as you know, and he gets out and I said, Mr. Jones, thank you so much for your time today. I would like to, uh, I would like to get your story today. And a 60-year-old man in the parking lot of the Atlanta Athletic Club, tears just started welling up in his eyes. And he said, Scott, I've been waiting 60 years to tell my own story. And that's where it started from that parking lot out to the 18th fairway of just finding out his story. And could you imagine living underneath the name of Bobby Jones? Bobby, he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. And his story goes as he hit himself in a bottle to drink away the pain for many, many years. And then he collided with the faith in Christ. And that truly set him free that his identity wasn't any longer the grandson of Bobby Jones, but his identity was in Christ. And that set him free to then talk about his grandfather with great joy and great admiration. And just to be able to walk with him is one of those experiences you know you're doing it, but when you kind of walk away from that day, you're going, Lord, thank you so much for allowing me to stroll the fairways with Mr. Jones before. It, it, it was It was amazing. And Scott, I think one of the things that not enough people know about is the strong faith that a lot of the players out on the PGA Tour have. Guys like Zach Johnson and Ben Crane, Bubba Watson, Mm -hmm. Webb Simpson, just to name a few of them. Talk about Mm -hmm. how you're bringing golf together with your faith and having some of those guys actually a part of the things you're doing within his grip golf and how you're marrying golf and faith. Absolutely, Chris. You know, and for the last 10 years, we've really used In His Grip as a church model, which kind of made sense, right? We're, we're Christian-based. We partner with churches, help them do golf tournaments. And we are allowed to, you know, in the last 10 years, host 216 In His Grip tournaments with local churches throughout the Southeast. In those 216 tournaments, we saw 18,000 men participate in them. And at the end, we always share a story to see, if, you know, the guys are at that point of their life where they need to commit their lives to the Lord. And we had 726 men do that. Very, very humbling to walk that experience out. But last year, we saw things changing where it's really challenging right now in the local churches to connect with men. You know, men's ministries are really hard to find uh, where they're striving or thriving. So we just decided to make a turn last year and take the industry ministry straight to the golf clubs, starting here in Nashville. And what we found is guys were longing to connect, that they're, they've been living life on an island. So we actually 
start in early in the mornings at different clubs throughout the city with a Bible study. Some guys stay and play nine. Some stay and play 18. And then we set up different golf leagues at the courses. And then we, then we brought it out to do different tournaments at the course. So that's our new model. It's a city model along with partnering with clubs within that city. And our dream now is to go into 100 cities in the next 10 years and just partner with different golf clubs uh, to connect with the guys. And Scott, speaking of Zach Johnson, I saw some pictures of you on the bag with Zach. What was it like? Uh, <laughs> when, when did that happen and what was it like? Yeah, back in 2012, a guy came to me at our church and said, hey, did you see that Zach Johnson's auctioning off a caddy experience for the St. Jude you know, FedEx event in Memphis next week? And I'm like, man, that'd be awesome. How good would that be? And so I called the charity to see, had he done this before? How much did it go for? And when they told me that, you know, what it sold for at a previous event, I'm like, well, I probably won't be able to do that personally. And I went back to share that with a gentleman at the church. And he said, hey, Scott, why don't you come with me to the car? And he wrote me a very substantial check to say, go get it. You need to stroll the fairways with Zach. So I went wow. over, you know, Zach uh, found out on Twitter. So he sent me, you know, a direct message. Scott, I heard you. You won the auction item, the caddy for me next week. Uh, it's supposed to be 100 degrees, you know, in Memphis in June. So make sure you stay hydrated. We did this at another city, and the guy only lasted eight holes. Well, I'm telling you, wow. I was 50, 52 years old at the time, and there's nothing's going to hold me back from tearing the bag of the 2007 Masters champion. There's just no way. And so when we connected at the green, at the putting green, that Wednesday Pro-Am, uh, he said, so you're the Twitter guy about In His Grip. I'm like, yeah, that's right, Zach. And he goes, well, where did In His Grip get started? And I said, well, it started in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And as you know, you know, at hometown of Zach, it's Cedar Rapids, Iowa. <laughs> he goes, interesting. He goes, I think this is going to go pretty well today. And so I shared with him my my uh, testimony of how I came back from the 1999 97 masters in Cedar Rapids, Iowa to my wife of two years. who said, I'm out of this marriage, you know, I'm gone. And it was really a wake up call for me back then. And the first two Bible verses God brought to me were Proverbs three, five and six, trust in the Lord, you know, with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. So I shared that with Zach within the first five minutes. And he said, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. He goes, on the 18th green, I have something to show you. Don't let me forget. Well, it was one of those days where uh, kind of an out-of-body experience like it was with Mr. Jones. Because here's where we got, t- we got paired with Tim Tebow and Coach Urban Meyer. That was in our same group. Wow. It was crazy. So walking those fairways. And the good thing is it's when Tebow was a, you know, it was a verb, right? <laughs> he was Tebowing uh, down on his knee, <laughs> quarterback for the, for the Broncos. So everybody was following him, and it kind of gave Zach and I this time to just really connect at the heart level. Well, the 18th green came, and I'm like, hey, Zach, remember on the putting green, you, said you had something to show me. He goes, Scott, you are not going to believe this. He pulls out of his bag a little coin, and it said trust on it. And I said, Zach, that is so cool. And he goes, flip it over. And I flipped the coin over, and it had Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 on it. He goes, wow. those, are my two life, those are my two life verses. 
My wife made this for me as a reminder of really what's important and where to put my trust. And that's how I really opened up our conversation four hours earlier. It, it was crazy. Like crazy. Wow. Yeah. The Lord gave me, that's an amazing Yeah, three other years mm-hmm, to connect with him. So I've caddied, I guess, four times uh, with Prozac, just on a practice round and really become a great brother in Christ. He's just an awesome, awesome man of faith. Got a couple of more before I let you go. And another sure. picture I saw was of uh, you and uh, Arnold Palmer at the Arnold Palmer Invitational uh, a while mm. back. But uh, boy, from from 2016, talk about the uh, the time you got to spend with the King. Yeah, you know, I, I was down in Orlando and uh, went over to the event and was just hanging out in the pro shop. And, you know, of course, buying a lot of things. And... I heard kind of in the background, oh, Arnie's just, you know, strolling through with his cart. And I just asked the guys there, I go, hey, I, I don't want to impose, but do you think if I got this flag, would Arnie be okay if I, you know, try to get him to sign it? And they're like, absolutely. So, you know, bought the flag with some other things and just went out. And he was just, he was in his golf cart talking to another gentleman. And what you see or seen through the years with Arnie, the spirit of humility and welcomeness and hospitality, it is so sincere and so authentic. As I waited, I just said, Mr. Palmer, I don't want to impose. He goes, come on over here, sir. What's your name? I mean, I probably got like 10 minutes with him, which was just incredible. And it was, again, one of those, I just call these, all these appointments you're hearing about, I just call them divine appointments. You know, they weren't really part of uh, the plan. The uh, Lord just allowed them to happen. And what what a legacy, you know, what an icon and just uh, amazing experience for the king of golf. And, Scott, for all of us who are still waiting to get our very first hole-in-one, we're just north <laughs> of about a seven-year anniversary of yours at the ninth hole over at Muscle Shoals. What was that like? Well, it was it was number two for me, but it was definitely the most memorable. I, w- I went down there with Brett Kern, the punter of the Titans, and Adam Agee, you know, a Christian artist. And on that same round, Brett Kern, on the first par three before that number nine, I think it was number three or four, he hits the flag, and it was <laughs> it was a back right pin where you could not see the green. But he hits the flag. He thinks it's down for his first hole-in-one. So he goes running to the green, gets to where he can see it, drops his knees, goes, no, it's like six inches away from a hole-in-one. And then six wow. holes later, six holes later <laughs> little, <laughs> a little four-iron, 194, little baby draw, hits in the middle of the green, rolls to the back of the green. It's totally visible <laughs> and drops. Shots in the hole. Kern was so mad. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, bet like, he was. Of course, laying six inches away, and then six holes later, I, I jar it, and so there's a pretty good story behind that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Finish of that story is uh, Kern's birthday is February 17th, so that was his birthday trip. <laughs> oh, that insult to injury. <laughs> Wow. Oh, yeah. It was good. Scott, for our listeners who want more information about the wonderful things you're doing or to attend one of the events that you have coming up, 
how can they find out more information about them? Yeah, a couple ways. You know, on, on the overall ministry, the best place to go is in his group golf.com. That way you'll get, you know, from all of our events and really what's going on through the ministry. You know, social media has been a really great uh, vehicle or platform to connect with. And it's pretty much me, you know, on Twitter, you know, Scott N. Lehman or Scott Nelson Lehman and Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, everybody's like, you know, hey, who's doing your social media? You know, connect. I'm like, it's me. <laughs> I, you, know, <laughs> you know, I love to connect with people. So, um not that I know what I'm doing, but I just try to update, you know, every day. And I definitely will respond if people reach out. So uh, that those, those vehicles are just great to connect with me personally. Well, Scott, it's always wonderful having you as part of the show. It's always very uplifting, very positive, and all the things you do are that. Thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I hope you'll come back and do it again real soon. My pleasure, Chris. You know I'm here to serve you, be available uh, anytime. Take care, Scott. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Appreciate it. Yeah, be blessed. Bye-bye. See you, Scott. That is Scott Lehman, L-E-H-M-E-N, inhisgripgolf.com. And uh, you can find him on Twitter, like he says, Instagram, Facebook. Great stuff. Very inspirational. Really enjoy having Scott as part of the show. And I highly recommend go check out that interview. It's on YouTube that Scott did with uh, with Bob Jones IV. It, uh, it really is fantastic, and that's something that I continue to watch over and over again. All right, I've got my next guest, Travis Fulton, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Travis on the other side of these words about our friends over at Two Under. I want to welcome our new partners at Two Under, the unofficial underwear of the PGA Tour, worn by PGA Tour players like Ricky Fowler, David Toms, Jerry Kelly, William McGirt, Jason Kokrak, and Matt Everett, to name just a few. Your buddies are going to think you're a stud if they're even seeing you in your underwear, but that's another story. And your girlfriend and or wife is going to love the side effects, a visibly enhanced profile. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management. It separates a man's most valuable assets from bodily contact to reduce unwanted skin-on-skin contact, providing less chafing, more control, and an altogether more luxurious feel. Start every round two under by wearing the coolest performance briefs on the market. Use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. And that's the number two, UNDR.com. Yeah, folks, be sure to go online and check them out. I'm telling you, they're the best underwear, t-shirts, loungewear you're going to put on. And I tell you, it feels like you're not wearing anything at all. They're that comfortable. 2UNDR.com. Use coupon code NXT on T20. You're going to get 20% off. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is one of the top instructors in the game, and that is Travis Fulton. Let me remind you a little bit about Travis's background. He was raised in Kellogg, Idaho. He played his college golf at Lewis and Clark State College, which is an NAIA school up in Lewiston, Idaho. He won the Pacific Northwest Athletic Conference Championship in his junior year at Bryden Canyon Golf Course, firing a final round 66 to win by a stroke. Holds the course record there, oh, by the way, with a 61. Travis is now the lead instructor at Pablo Creek Golf Club and Jacksonville Golf and Country Club, as well as Victoria National in Evans, uh, Evansville, Indiana. He's a contributing writer for the PGATour.com and Golf Illustrated. Been named top 40 under 40 instructor by Golf Digest and best teacher in the state of Florida. 
He's a regular co-host on the Golf Channel's Morning Drive, and he has worked with Fred Funk and Led Matisse out on tour. Go online and follow him on Twitter, at Travis Fulton on Twitter, and on Instagram, at Travis Fulton Golf. And I am very delighted to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Travis. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, you bet, Chris. How you doing? I'm fantastic. Travis, how have you been, my friend? I'm good. All good here. We're just uh, getting ready uh Players Championship next week, the Florida Swing. So we are uh, we're getting after it. So Travis, before we get into all the golf stuff, I gotta say, with the NFL Combine just wrapping up, the video of you running the forty, absolutely <laughs> inspiring. You know, my my Steelers yeah. could use a guy like you at wide receiver when it with Antonio Brown getting traded. So uh, how do we get you to Pittsburgh? Well, yeah, well, I, I don't know if I can uh, quite keep up with that, but. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun, and of course, uh, inspired by Rich Eisen, of course, who does that every year. And it, uh, you know, all the it's a it's a wonderful initiative and charity donations to the the St. Jude's Children's Hospital. And I figured, you know, with what we've got going on the platform there at Instagram, let's let's uh, let's get out there and see what we can do. And um, six point oh three was as, as fast as I could run, and I think I pulled a hammy doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so Travis, I got to say, I'm excited to see you're with one of our sponsors now, Ben Hogan Golf Equipment. Yeah. So uh, talk about how you became part of the brand. Yeah, you know, I was uh, kind of back to the roots, really, Chris. They uh, Ben Hogan was uh, such a big part of the golf industry when I was was young and playing and and getting into the Apex irons and you know when uh, they were through and through there, Ben Hogan and a big part of the the conversation, the course. Uh, you know they went away there for a little while and now they're now they're back and fully invested in the game again and and making great product um once again so it was an easy uh easy move for me to to jump back over to to Ben Hogan Golf and I'm excited about uh, what they've got coming out you know the irons the PTX irons are 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 so good and uh, the wedges the equalizer wedges and this little hybrid that they have now is is uh is great stuff, and I'm really excited about the putting line here in the next couple of weeks, and and what they've got in store at the woods. So, back to the roots, great product, and um, it's a it's a, it's a I think a real uh, positive future ahead for Ben Hogan. And Travis, I saw pictures of you out at the uh, Honda Classic last weekend. What did you think about what you saw there? Yeah, you know, we went down on Wednesday and um, and uh, walked the golf course with some of the players, and um, you know, it's such a difficult golf course, PGA National, and you know, talking to the players, uh, you know, I I was at Arnold Palmer Invitational on Monday playing in the Pro-Am, and I said to some of the players, anytime, anytime you guys shoot eight, nine hundred to win a golf tournament, I don't want any part of it playing it. I mean, it's that it's that difficult, and they really had very little wind. And for it to play that difficult, I just think speaks to you know what PGA National is and can be. Obviously, when the wind picks up and the bear trap fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen, and you know it was. Uh, you know, to see uh, the way that um, that it that it went down and the run that Ricky made and and Brooks and all that, uh, it was it was cool to see Keith Mitchell finally get a win. You know, we don't we don't get many winners on the PGA Tour that you know really didn't have many wins leading up to that. You know, of course he was at Georgia and a good collegiate player, but he didn't get any wins on the Latino Tour. He didn't get any wins on the Web.com Tour, and and to to have the PGA Tour be your first win, you know, it just doesn't happen very often. And uh, as you mentioned a moment ago, Travis, the bear trap, the 15th hole, 
out there. It looks like a, a typical Jack Nicholas designed par three, similar to what he has out there at Muirfield Village, reminiscent of the 12th at Augusta National. Saw you on the tee box there. How tough a hole is it when you're standing there on the tee box? You know, it's it's a very difficult hole in that you know, I think any time you take one side completely away with water, it's, it's, it's intimidating, right? I mean, you're standing there and you know that if anything is mishit to the right, you're staring five in the face. And so I think that's intimidating, you know, intimidating right out of the gate. And then you also know if you pull it left, it's no bargain, you know, to get it up and down. There's just really no place to miss it. I think 17 is probably even a little more difficult and extreme in that way. And oftentimes more difficult to judge the wind because of the, the stadium effect. But both those holes, you stand there and you know that if it's going right, you're probably making five. So you have to stand in there and you have to, you know, buck up and make a good swing. But they are two difficult par threes. They played 17 a little easier this year and moving the tee up. And I think that did cut down on some of the water balls. But they're just intimidating golf holes. And you put wind on top of it, they're, they're two of the most difficult on tour for sure. Travis, I want to get your thoughts on the rules changes that have gone into effect. It seems to be that's the, the dominating story right now off the golf course. What's your take on the drop rule? I, I thought dropping from shoulder height was fine. Did we need to lower it to knee height? You know, I, I don't think so. I think it was one rule that probably didn't really need to be changed, um, but it but it has been changed. And I think most of these rule changes when they're when they're done, they're 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 predominantly done for the professional world. And you know, we can say that you know it's it's for amateur golf and this and that. But I think most of the time in rule changes, they are facilitated primarily for professional golf. And I think. In saying that, I don't think we needed to change it. I think most of the players, um, if not all of them, feel pretty silly, you know, dropping from their knees. And I just think at the end of the day, it's, it's, let's, let's just move on with this and, and, and allow the players to drop from anywhere from shoulder height to the knee and, and, and just put an end to this madness. I think it was one rule that did not need to be messed with at all. And Travis, when, when you're playing or you're instructing your students, Flag stick in, flag stick out. What are your thoughts on uh, utilizing that? You know, really, I think with the flag stick in, we're talking about a speed issue. I think it's been pretty well proven through studies that if the ball is moving faster than the desired speed, where the hole is going to be made smaller, if the ball is coming in at that speed, the flag stick can help you. So, you know, I, I I think you have to kind of ask yourself, am I trying to make this putt or am I just trying to lag it close? And and if you're trying to make it, it, it's probably going to be inside 12 feet. And at that at that putt, that length of a putt, you know, the speed really shouldn't be coming in too hot. So I think inside 12 feet, you know, with with the speed reasonably good, you know, I think it's kind of a moot point. To be honest with you. Now I think outside of that, when you start hitting from 20, 30, 40 feet, especially downhill and the speed can get away from you and come in a little hot, then it probably makes sense to leave the pin in. So, you know, I think if if the pin, if, if you have a chance where the, the speed can get away from you, then I think leaving the pin in can help. And um, I think those are the times where we're trying to lag it or if we're putting downhill and it's extremely fast, those are the times to probably leave it in. But I find it interesting in saying that, I find it very interesting to, to, to hear Adam Scott speak and some other players where if the flag is in, they, they feel like they can just free up and it almost takes them back to their youth days when they're putting on the putting green. And, and it just kind of just allows them to step up, aim it and hit it. So 
I think there's a psychological effect there as well. And if it does free you up and you feel like you can be more instinctive, then, then more power to you like Adam Scott is. And speaking of Adam Scott, Travis, you expressed some surprise on Twitter that he switched putters. What surprised you about the, the uh, putter change? Well, I, you know, I think when you look at Adam Scott, I mean, he's, he's certainly one player that was affected when the USGA um, changed the anchor, anchoring the putter. And, you know, he struggled. I mean, Adam has struggled putting statistically. I mean, he's had his moments, but um, it's been a grind. And I think over the last few months, um, with what I discussed with the with the flag in, I, it seems to have helped him psychologically. I think running the putter shaft up the leap form has helped. And you look at him statistically, Chris, you could argue this is the best he's ever putted. And for him to show up to the Honda and not only change the putter, but also how he was lining the putter shaft up, no longer putting it into the forearm, I, I just I thought that was I thought that was a bit strange and, and a bit unnecessary, considering you know he's been having the success that he has had. And, you know, the, the, the urge to tinker and continue to try to search and this and that, sometimes I think it backfire, and I think it did on Adam on at the Honda. Travis, staying, staying on the topic of putting, and one of the players I'm concerned about is Jordan Spieth, and I'm a big Jordan Spieth fan, but he is struggling with his play, particularly in the third and fourth rounds of tournaments, and his putting isn't nearly what it was a few years ago. What are you seeing in his game? Well, I think it started with the flag stick. I mean, I think with Jordan, there's no, it's, it's, it's understood that his primary weapon is his putter. I mean, he was putting at a rate that was unheard of when he was winning major championships. And I think at some point we understood that he was probably going to come back to the norm and the mean as far as making putts at that clip. Now, I think in saying that, it's also been a bit surprising that he's probably dropped now underneath that and is no longer um, even in the middle tier of putting statistically, he, he, he is at the bottom. So he has lost uh, his strength. And I think in today's game, if your strength is your putter and not your distance and your ball striking and you're giving up the kind of yardage that Jordan is, then it's going to put some more pressure on the other parts of his game. And I think that's kind of what we're starting to see, some of that pressure mounting that the putter is not working at the level that it was and it perhaps has started to leak into the other parts of his game. And I think psychologically now, um, you know, you're starting to see some of that frustration coming out. So I am a bit concerned um, with Jordan in saying that because he is not long. He is giving up distance. It was inconceivable to think at one point that Luke Donald would become irrelevant in this game as the number one player in the world, but he has. And, and you hope that Jordan doesn't go down that path, but it's happened before him. And I don't think it would be... Um, I don't think it's, you know, out of the ordinary to say that it could happen to him. So I hope he can get it back. I feel like he will, and, and, the, and the putter will come back, become a bit more of a strength, and we'll see Jordan Spieth a little bit more on top of leaderboards. Travis, I want to get your thoughts on putting. For your students and those of us that, that struggle with our putting, how do you go about teaching the putting stroke and the putting grip to your students? Are you conventional grip, left hand low if you're a right-handed player? Do you like the claw? What do you teach your students? Well, I think, you know, obviously you have to give them some options. And, you know, I think conventional putting is still predominantly what we see from the best putters. Um, you know, you, you look at, you go back to a Luke Donald, who I think was, you know, one of the best putters, you know, over the last 20 years that we've seen. And, and you look at how he grips it conventionally. It allows his forearms, you know, to line up with the putter shaft. I oftentimes will get players to, 
take their grip and then and then stand up and point the putter shaft right in front of their their kind of their belly and then kind of roll their elbows in and both of your forearms should be pointing down the putter shaft so that everything's pretty much a single plane. I think when doing that you find that most amateurs need to to position their trail hand a little bit more underneath the grip. I think they get the right hand a little high, the right form can get too tall and and the putter head can start to work a little too much out to in. So I think you you start lining that up and getting the forms on plane, I think that's a big deal. Now I think left hand low can can really get that right form to match up better. When you look at like a spief and the left hand is below the right hand, it makes that right elbow soften a little bit and the right arm can't be so dominant building up the lead side. So I think if you struggle with that right arm being too tall, putter head going too much to the outside, sometimes going left hand low, tucking the right arm elbow in can help that path a little more to the inside. So I think you got to get the forms matched up. Um, I think how far you stand from it, how much you bend over, you know, can vary from person to person. But I think at the end of the day, you're trying to create an environment at a dress, Chris, that allows the putter head to move pretty instinctively on its natural path. And you can really influence that path of the putter head by, you know, four or five different characteristics at a dress, with the one being the forms matched up to the putter shaft probably being the most predominant factor of that. So you try to create that environment at a dress, and then, and then from there, you really, you know, you're trying to create some structure. I find most amateurs excel better with a more of a two-to-one ratio and, 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 and kind of lengthening out the backstroke and then shortening up the follow-through. And I know that on the surface, that, that's a, there's a bit of a sticker shock to most people that hear that, but when they're too much the other way, more of a one-to-two, and that follow-through is so long and excessive, when you, when you get them to think more two-to-one, the strike improves, distance control improves, and um, I think, you know, line and speed start to match up a little bit better. So those are, those are some of the things that, through my journey of teaching, I would say most amateurs can benefit from. And Travis, you've got a video that you put out recently. It's it's like a uh, a mock introduction of you on, on a first tee at a, at a tournament. Yeah. But for those of us that get the the first tee jitters, and whether it's we're just playing with our friends, or we may be playing in a member guest or a, another tournament where there are actual other golfers or other people around, how do you tell your students to deal with the the nerves and the butterflies that come with that? You know, I think. It's a very good question, right? I mean, it, it's, you know, I think about that a lot and I, and I go to, and then I instantly think about Tiger Woods, right? The best player of our era, arguably the best of all time. And here's a guy that struggles with the first tee shot. I mean, he, when you really watch him and you go back, even when he was dominant, he struggles with the first tee. So I think that right there sets the bar awful high, <laughs> you know, when, when, when Tiger Woods struggles on the first tee. So, you know, I think some of the things that, that, that can help, and I'll even kind of speak from experience here a little bit, is, is finding, you know, I think self-discovery is so important in this game. And I think you have to, you have to understand what you tend to do when you get nervous, and particularly on the first tee. For me, I tend to get very short with my turn. You know, and I kind of get almost a bit armsy. My, my backswing will get a bit short, and then I'll inevitably pull it. You know, I'll turn and kind of pull it left. So for me, I've discovered that, you know, I have to make sure that I make a, a full turn and then from there let it go. 
because when I get nervous, I tend to get a little short in my backswing, almost like Paul Casey, you know, when he'll get nervous. So I think you have to kind of understand what, what happens to you when you get nervous, whether it's on the first tee or it's coming down the stretch, trying to put away a good round and then work away from that. And uh, I find that most amateurs, you know, some of them need to slow down. They, they get going too quick. But I would almost say that as, you're, as, as you look at the handicap, the better player almost needs to lengthen out and go at it more aggressively where your higher handicaps need to slow down. Travis, just a couple more before we let yeah. you go. And last year, you told us to keep our eyes on Keegan Bradley. You thought he was going to have a strong comeback year, and lo and behold, he did. So yep. we're going we're gonna to test you again this year. Who right. should we be keeping our eye on now? You know, and I'll even... And, I, and even before that, on on PGA Tour Live, I was I was I was on Kevin Kisner. He was he was someone that really impressed me with his game, and and, and he certainly had a little run there. And then it, you know, I I like where Keegan was going. You know, with with his putting again, I felt like he he almost had to reteach himself how to putt. And then you look at it this year, right? It'd be so it'd be so much fun to to say, you know what? Here comes Spieth again, right, with the putter. But I'm not as optimistic about that. You know, I've always been really big on Finau. I think Finau is going to have a, a breakout year. He's off to a little bit of a slow start, um, but I do think Finau is going to be a player that is going to win and, and win often, and I'd even put a major championship in there. It's almost like he's just needing that little extra boost here of confidence to put one of these away. Um, Brooks Kepka, of course, has taken that next leap, and, and we see what he's capable of doing. But uh, I, I think this this Tony Finau could propel himself into a top ten in the world type of player, and um, is a guy that I I think can win a couple times this year. Travis, before we let you go, talk about your show, the Stripe Show, which is uh, out there on Facebook Live, and uh, the things you're doing with 18 birdies, and and then how we can also follow you on on uh, Twitter and uh, and Instagram as well. Yeah, you know it's funny. This year I've been I've I've really moved everything to to Travis Fulton Golf on Instagram. It's been fun to kind of really position everything, um, you know, in house and you know what you were referring to there uh, with with me standing on the first tee. We're having a lot of fun with what we call the uh, the ten fifteen tee time and 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 uh, and and posting the things that are happening throughout the week and picking kind of the top three or four items and. And uh, and playing them out, we had a, a really a fun one this week with uh, with talking about 15 and 17 at the Honda and and how to and how to really overcome missing the ball to the right. I, I went through a full combine. You were alluding to the 40 yard dash I did, but we we posted the me doing the full combine, which was great fun. And then and then my experience at the Arnold Palmer on Monday and playing in the pro am. So the 10 15 is great and. Um, and uh, yeah, it's all it's all kind of living right there at Travis Fulton Golf on Instagram, and you mentioned that Travis Fulton on Twitter, and then you can also check me out on my website, travisfultongolf.com. We've got uh, a lot of cool stuff and fun stuff coming to you this year. Well, Travis, thank you so much for coming back and sharing all of those things uh, with us again tonight. You're really fantastic. I love having you as part of the show. I hope you'll come back and join me again real soon. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Chris. Anytime. Take care, Travis. All the best to you and your family. You too. That is uh, the great Travis Fulton. And again, TravisFulton.com is his website, Travis Fulton Golf. 
over on uh, on Instagram and on Twitter at Travis Fulton. Great stuff from Travis. A lot of great tips and stories and really looking forward to having him back. Really enjoy spending time with him. Well, folks, there you go. That's tonight's show. We're going to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks go out to Mark Carnival, Scott Lehman, and Travis Fulton for joining me tonight. Folks, I hope you enjoyed the show. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the T with Chris Mascaro. Put a comment there for me. Let me know what you think. You can also check us out online. This show, you can find us on nextonthetea.net is our website. On there, you'll be able to see who our future guests are going to be. Plus, uh, we also link back to uh, our page over on Podbean. I can't thank those folks enough for featuring us right there front and center on their mobile app uh, and their golf section. Also want to welcome our new friends over at podcast.co. So podcastdot.co. Uh, there's a new website uh, really kicking off and uh, adding podcasts. And uh, boy, we're, we're getting our shows over there as well. So want to thank those folks very much. Go check out our page on there as well. Please check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari and our announcer Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time right here on Blog Talk Radio. And that show, like I say, uh, like this one, also available as a free podcast, not only on podcast.co, but Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom. So we're all over the place. Wherever you're consuming podcasts, both shows are available most likely on those sites as well. And on Thursday Night Tailgate, we're joined every week by five NFL legends who come on and share stories about their playing days and insights into what's going on around the league now. Plus, we highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our spotlight on the positive segment. Again, you can find that show online at ThursdayNightTailgate.com, this show next on the T.net. Folks, thank you so much for choosing to listen to this show again tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you are making us part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.